morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening to Untold Stories, where twice a week, you and I get to dive deep together to talk to the coolest people, the most brilliant minds in our industry, and really not just in our industry, but people who are so brilliant, they've decided to come and join us on this financial and monetary and informational evolution or revolution or whatever you want to call it to really find out how this movement truly came to be. I am your host, Charlie Shrem. You are listening to Untold Stories. Tom Albright, you are my, you are my guest today. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited to be here and I will do my best to live up to that, uh, th- that list of guests, the brilliant minds and <laughs> cool people and all that. I'm not sure I qualify, but I'll do my best. You qualify because on this show, you're going to teach me and teach the guests things that we didn't know before. And some of these things are information that you already know and you take for granted, but we don't and I don't. And, and I'll give you the perfect example right here. But just to give everyone a brief background of you, uh, you're the chief executive officer of Bittrex Global, and you serve on the company's board of directors. You started as the, if I'm, if I'm correctly, you started as the general counsel at the company. When did, mm-hmm. when did you join? Because Bittrex is like the OG. It's been around. Bittrex, like Cal- Bittrex USA or whatever, has been, mm-hmm. has been around since like 2011 or 2012, I think. You know, Bittrex was the first Bitcoin exchange to ever have the faces of the people who own it and ran it on their website mm-hmm. in the history of all of crypto companies. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, it is really pretty amazing to, to be at Bittrex considering the, the background and how long they've been around and the vision that our three founders had for the company. So, you know, it's an incredible honor to be running Bittrex Global for them now. So. I, uh, as you mentioned, I was, uh, my background is as a lawyer. I spent uh, 12 years as a lawyer at a law firm in San Francisco, uh, doing lots of corporate work, tech transactions. Um, and through 2016 and 2017, we started moving more and more into fintech, uh, and crypto in particular turned into a pretty big focus for the firm. So uh, I think starting in the third quarter or late 2017, I started working with Bitrix, um, doing lots of different corporate work and all sorts of things like that. And over the next, say, three to six months, I started doing more and more work with them to the point where it made sense to come in-house as general counsel. So uh, I did that for about a year and a half and helped set up the structure between Bitrix US, uh, the technology company that's in the US, and then the there's an exchange in the U.S. as well, obviously, uh, and Bitrix Global, which is our international arm, uh, international company, and we're, we have separate officers, directors, all those sorts of things, and uh, all non-U.S. customers run through Bitrix Global. We have only non-U.S. people, uh, whereas Bitrix U.S. Um, has only U.S. people, so the customers are split uh, that way. Um, and yeah, so last... Uh, February, February 2020 is when I transitioned in um, and took over as the CEO of Bitrix Global. And I mean, it's been really, really exciting, tons of fun, you know, and really incredibly interesting to help drive the business as well as work within the new regulatory frameworks that are popping up all over the world um, as we move, you know, to bridge the gap between crypto as it's sort of evolved over the last uh, almost 10 years to 
interfacing with the traditional financial world as we see big institutions and Fortune 500 companies and you know everyone else discovering and getting involved in Bitcoin and crypto. So it's been a really fun year. A lot of the things that you're talking about today, like you know security token fra- you know, frameworks and, mm-hmm. and certain legal frameworks and and various uh, setting up structures, and we take for granted that there's so much clarity around that stuff now. I see so much clarity. You're probably laughing and saying like, there's never enough clarity. But <laughs> back when you really, when you when you got involved and you started to sink your teeth into this years ago, what was some of like the early legal work that you, you guys had to deal with that you had to reinvent the wheel? Like it, it's, you always kind of say it's like, when you're dealing with a legal situation, I always say my lawyer, well, like, what did other people do in this situation? We're not reinventing the wheel here. Like what did, what's the precedent? You didn't really have a lot of precedent in those early mm-hmm. days. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're really doing your best to analogize to, you know, other things. You're looking at, um, you know, what sort of KYC should we be doing? Are we, you know, like our, the corner store? Are we like a bank or are we like a securities exchange? Are we, you know, what seems to fit us the best? Um, and if you're lucky, you have regulators that will work with you and, help analyze those sorts of things. And, you know, you work together to try and figure those things out. If you're not lucky, uh, then you have regulators who, you know, do the opposite approach. They, they won't work with you and they say, you know, we're going to figure this out and we'll come back and tell you. And, um, you know, it may or may not be what you think it is. And if you're on the wrong side of the rules, then that's a problem. It goes into like a whole system and then it's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But really like, I guess early on in the crypto space and really Bitcoin space, Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting because I look back and I say, who would be the, like the soldiers or the ones that would have to, to really be the trailblazers. And you'd think like the holders or the developers, the business people, but there always has been a need for, and there always will be a need for a solid connection, a legal framework, a connection between the crypto world and the traditional world, whether it be, you know, just just traditional like like fiat in and out tool booths, you know, and then you're talking mm-hmm. about like larger crazy things like the ability to tokenize otherwise non-tokenizable assets. So we were saying early on in the show, like what information you have. This is so interesting for me and for a lot of the listeners. For example, when when Bittrex launched tokenized stocks, and I and I remember there was uh, you can uh, with, with GameStop, AMC, mm-hmm. a lot of the you know even before some of these other companies did, we almost take advantage that there's already legal framework set up to do like stocks, you know, in an app. But we didn't have that yeah. for for crypto, and we still don't really have all of these like legal frameworks for crypto. So where will this lead us down the road? Well, that's a really great question, I and mean, you're you're absolutely right on that. Is a lot of the things that that you know the legal framework for securities, for example, or for banks, things like those. I mean, they've been evolving for you know hundreds of years or almost a hundred years. So, you know, the Securities Act in the U.S. was written and passed in 1933. So there's you know almost a hundred years of laws and regulations and courts considering how different rules apply in different cases and all that. Whereas, you know, crypto has only existed for 10 years and uh, has really only been mainstream for to the point where regulators and uh, courts and things like that have had to really think about it for maybe five years um, 
probably not even that in most cases. But, you know, I, my belief is that the technology is so good, the use cases are so good, um, and the way that crypto and blockchain technology provide access to so many people around the world who, frankly, can't get access to the traditional financial system, um, can't buy stocks, can't buy, use fiat, uh, sometimes can't even trust their own local fiat currency. Um, and then anyone with a mobile phone now has access to this completely new financial system uh, that democratizes everything, gives them a chance to access the best investments, to build their wealth, um, to make cheap and easy payments and remittances across borders. You know, I think that governments and regulators are starting to realize that as well, and that this technology is just a tidal wave that's coming to change everything. And as a result of that, they have to have a framework for how it works. They have to have a framework for how traditional financial institutions can interface with the crypto ecosystem and offer those products. And as you said, fiat on and off ramps and tokenization of real estate and art and all sorts of things. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's something that regulators are now really realizing they need to do. And fortunately, we have uh, a few very forward-thinking regulators and governments around the world that have adopted good sets of rules and are um, we're now seeing those in action. So, you know, a perfect example is in Liechtenstein, where the Blockchain Act there has been in effect for um, a little over a year now. And we're seeing governments around the rest of Europe looking at that, meeting with the Liechtenstein regulators, uh, you know, Germany, France, and we've seen the draft micro regulations in Europe as well that pull very heavily from the Blockchain Act. So it's definitely something that's coming. And, um, you know, the forward thinking regulators have really given everyone else a leg up to try and adopt the best practices and try and understand the technology and how people are using it. Do you think there'll be more like jurisdictional shopping? So, okay, let me rephrase the question. Right now, like <laughs> we look at the U.S. as as the perfect. We have the SEC. We have largely one of the best jurisdictions. Oh, well, okay, let's let's use this as an assumption, actually, because people are going to start messaging me like you're wrong about this, whatever. But let's assume <laughs> that the U.S. is one of the places that if you were doing a security token or a tokenized product or figuring out what the U.S. would be like one of these great places. But you know, you and I know that there are a lot of other places in the world that are vying for this business. There are countries that are literally saying, we'll roll out the red carpet, we'll develop laws, we are developing laws, banking, regulatory, everything, you know, we'll help you with your compliance department, we'll be conversational. Do you think we'll ever see a difference in where these things are issued and how they're issued and who's issuing them versus, because people are starting to trust, mm -hmm. their, are starting to trust corporate money over, it used to be fiat money, you know, governments would put money, but then Facebook coin was, you know, Libra was like, oh, potentially you can have corporations launch, mm -hmm. launch money. Will there be like jurisdictional shopping or it won't really matter? That's a really interesting question and a really tough one to answer, honestly. So, you know, over, if you look at the capital markets as, uh, you know, an example or an analogy over, you know, hundreds of years, um, you know, the big financial centers have evolved to the point where if a company wants to go public and issue stock, um, you know, be listed on a stock exchange, all those sorts of things, you go through New York, you go through London, you go through Hong Kong or Shanghai. And those financial centers and the institutions there have really sort of won that business and the ecosystem 
you know, grows as a result of that, you have uh, stock exchanges, you have investment banks as underwriters, you have trading firms, all those sorts of things. And so, and in Silicon Valley is pretty similar in terms of tech, where as the ecosystem grows, the concentrations of talent and resources and all those things get bigger and bigger. I think we'll see something similar like that for crypto and blockchain. But the really interesting thing to me is that it's a little bit antithetical to the the technology and the ethos in that, uh, and then also in how the world in general is evolving between COVID and technology and all those sorts of things is, you know, decentralization as, as a theme from both blockchain technology, from remote work, all those sorts of things make it significantly easier to interact with people all around the globe and, you know, to do business in, uh, you know, Cayman or Jersey or Singapore without having all of your people and all of your offices there. You can have a development team in, you know, in Poland or in Mexico, and you can have your corporate offices in San Francisco and have your customer support in the Philippines or, you know, any combination that you can imagine. And you don't even have to have those teams together at this point. You can have a, a broadly distributed development team or customer support that covers 24-7. You know, as, as the day goes on, you just hand off. So I think between those two big trends, I, I think we're going to see, you know, I don't think we're going to see sort of winner-take-all jurisdictions the way we did with traditional financial services, banking, uh, securities, things like that. Um, you know, I think that because customers will be so decentralized um, and users of blockchain technology, as well as the way technology enables people to work remotely and interact together almost seamlessly. It's all about risk, right? Risk. So people will look at the risk and they'll say, well, so like credit and capital markets are going to be completely decentralized is what I'm trying, is what it really I'm feeling from what you're saying. was one of the things that you're saying. And in the past, I know like, even if you wanted to fund like a like if you were going to fund a multi you know million dollar project in South America right mm-hmm. you would typically go look for a american or canadian or western european bank that would like finance that you wouldn't go to like a south american bank typically that's right yeah and now because everything is getting like credit and capital markets are getting more more decentralized I could potentially go to like a crypto, I can go right now and say, oh, I'm going to build something in South America somewhere. I can go to a crypto bank in, in Estonia or in, 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 uh, in London or in Brazil, Brazil, anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, in China and in in South Africa, and I can say here, here's a million dollars of Bitcoin. Let me borrow against it so I can build this thing. And here, boom, like you just completely took all other capital markets out of this, this, the ball game here Mm -hmm. completely changes. That's right. And if you, project what, and I'm sure you know this, but if you look at what DeFi is doing today and project that out, you know, five, 10 years, you know, at some point you don't even have to go to a bank anywhere for certain projects. You say, I want to build my, my project in, in Latin America here. I'm going to tokenize it. I'm going to write up a white paper and I'm going to put that out onto uh, a DeFi liquidity pool and let people trade into it if they want and fund it that way. I, I think it opens up incredible opportunities for, as I said, people around the world who would never have been able to access those big, huge banks to, to walk in and say, I want to fund my construction project or whatever, and I need $10 million. It's just 
you know, you never would have gotten that before. But now you have access to billions of people and trillions of dollars worth of cryptocurrencies. Um, it's a game changer. All right, guys. So with a pretty crazy chaotic year behind us, we've got 200 reasons to put your Bitcoin to the test, courtesy of my friends at BitCasino. And I've gotten you an amazing, amazing offer for this week only. You have to go to bitcasino.io forward slash shrimp to get it. But all you have to do is wager 5 MBTC, small amount, wager 5 MBTC or more on BitCasino on any slot, and you get 200 free spins to their legacy of dead game. You get 200 free spins, 200 spins to win more money for free. And all you have to do is do one slot bet. I love these guys. Big Casino was ahead of the crypto game before that game even got going. The original Bitcoin-led online gaming destination, they really, really, really pushed and to continue to set the standard for fun, fast, and fair gameplay because you have the blockchain. You might as well be fair and transparent while you're at it. Deposit, wager, and withdraw in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tron, Litecoin, so many cryptos, all in real time, all the time with BitCasino. Moving right along. Hey guys, it's Charlie. And remember that time we interviewed Anthony Trenchev from Nexo Finance? Well, they are on a roll right now offering 5.9% APR on your crypto credit. You'll be able to borrow at less than 6% on some of your crypto. They got a savings account that's offering 12% interest a year. And now they have an integrated exchange so you can trade between all your cryptos without ever leaving their integrated wallet. It's so amazing. Make sure you check it out at nexo.io and start earning interest, start managing your assets because crypto banking just got real with Nexo. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> I love Nexo. It's such a great company. There was the big uh, Robin Hood robbery of crypto, you know, in stocks a few weeks ago and a few or a few months, you know, a month or two. However, you want to look at it, Wall Street bets. You know, everyone, everyone yeah. I know, everyone I know was like, it still is, is like getting in on that. But here's something interesting that I don't know how this works. And I'm hoping you can explain it to me. From a, a crypto perspective, I understand assets is like, I look at, I understand assets is like, okay, crypto is a bear asset. You keep it on the exchange. You can withdraw it. Have a nice day. Don't laugh at me, but I actually have never traded a stock before. And in fact, I have employee shares of a company. I don't, I have to go and figure out how to like turn that into something that I can trade. I have to do it's, the it's research. Not easy. No, it's it not. Really I don't isn't. know how to do it. I have a piece of paper and mm -hmm. an email. So now you have all this information, right? That on, on one aspect of Charlie, like that's Charlie. On the other side, the whole Robin Hood situation that happened. Can you explain to me like how it all works in relation to what is the DTCC? Who are they? What do they do? How does it all kind of come together? And what happened with Robin Hood where they couldn't, they had to shut down all the stock trading because either they didn't, they didn't have enough money and mm -hmm. sitting in the account or they didn't have enough stock. There's like 140% of stock. If there's 100 shares out there, there's like 140 shares actually like IOU'd, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just so much going on in this. And and part of this is, you know, who you believe the, the stories. But at a really high level, if you look at the way stock markets and sort of public company securities work is the... The company basically issues its stock out to however many holders. And you think, okay, you know, Apple must have 
10 million holders of its shares around the world. But it's really inefficient to deal with 10 million people or you know, holding those, those stock certificates or electronic versions of stock certificates. So what they do is they issue them out to um, through DTCC, which is essentially a, an issuing and clearing company that big banks use and, and broker dealers. So the stock gets issued by the company and it basically... 90% of it for public companies will sit in the hands of the big Wall Street banks. So, you know, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citibank, uh, Goldman, as the brokers that, that handle accounts for everyone. And what that means is that what the, your shares are held in what they call street names. So if you own 100 shares of Apple, uh, what you actually have is a credit at, say, Goldman Sachs. And Goldman Sachs owns... 100 million shares of Apple and they have, you know, 100 of them allocated out to you and 100 allocated to me and 1000 allocated to your neighbor and all those sorts of things. So, it makes it it's basically a ledger entry system for them where uh when you sell your 100 shares and buy 100 share and you know someone else buys those from you, they just swap out the ledger entry and they don't actually have to transfer them on the books and records of Apple. So what that means is that there's a whole system behind the facade where, you know, if you look at Robinhood and Fidelity and, and these sort of retail brokers, you know, they, they sell you shares, but you have the beneficial and economic ownership of those, but you don't technically own them directly. The, the brokerage account does. And that creates this whole system of how you track those shares, who gets to vote them, what sort of collateral needs to be posted to support orders. And it gets even more complicated when you add in options and derivatives and things like that, and short selling as well. So that's kind of the, the gist of it. And then the settlement times in the traditional financial system, or you know, there's been a lot of talk about kind of T plus three lately, where if you know JP Morgan is the one that holds the shares you sell, and they actually need to trade, move them over to a, a Goldman. The trade happens on Monday. Uh, the shares don't actually move between those two big brokers until you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so it's just, it's very different than we would think of things in the crypto industry. Yeah, because I'm coming from the crypto world it. and it's like yeah. not from the, from the stock trading world. And I'm looking at it like it's backwards. I look at crypto as how it should be and how it should have always mm -hmm. been. But I guess the technology didn't really exist because there was no way yeah. to have like, settlement finality yeah and i mean if again if you look back at you know the the u.s securities and capital markets sort of evolved um changed completely starting back in the 30s you know the securities act of 1933 the securities and exchange act of 1944 or 34 and it, you know at that time people these big banks were literally running you know paper stock certificates back and forth and you know, three days to clear that sort of made sense. Um, you know, there weren't even computers back then. It was a completely different ecosystem and world. And, you know, the foundation is just not built for blockchain technology and instant transactions and 24-7 trading and all those sorts of things. So you get a, a lot of strange inefficiencies as a result. Hitting, like, global efficiency scares me a little bit because. The whole world is built on inefficiencies and everything like has started because of that. Go back to the stories of 
of the early stock market and how you'd have people who had faster horses can get their 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 paper faster yeah. from one bank to another. And then businesses were built on that. I mean, you look at the old mail system that it was a series of, you know, hilltops and you'd have flag bearers and things like that. And that's how they would tell. I mean, the early days, that's how it would go. They would tell when it was the new moon, when the calendar, before calendars to happen, they would, they would look for the new moon and the priest would live on top of the hill and then he'd do a certain color of smoke when the new moon would come. And that's how they'd be able to time the harvest and things like that. And all, all these efficiencies were built on top of inefficiencies. And that's what kind of creates business. That's what, as my wife jokingly says, it makes the world spin. Mm -hmm. What happens when we hit, oh, it's kind of a scary question. It's like, cause then I get into these topics of thinking that the Satoshi group was the singularity and it's computer created. <laughs> what happens if we were, if, can we ever like get to maximum efficiency? It's scary. It's a scary thought. I don't even want to ask this question. I don't even want to <laughs> well, ask this question. I'll answer it anyway. I mean, my personal belief is that, you know, human nature would never allow that, right? Like you hear so much talk about efficient market theories and, um, you know, all information is baked in, but if and people are rational all the time and economics is sort of founded on that, but, you know, people are emotional and they're maximizing for different things all the time. You know, some person, someone wants, uh, you know, the best family life and the best security that they have for them in their or the most time with their kids or whatever. And someone else says, and I don't have kids. I want to maximize for money. You know, so everyone has different objectives. And I think, and not everyone is, well, everyone is irrational. And those two things alone, I think, create inefficiencies because as humans, we've built the system. Yeah, we're all human. In. That's where like the term comes from. Yeah, exactly. We're not perfect. Exactly. You know, talking to you for the past 30 minutes, you, you know what you're talking about. At the same time, it's, it seems like there's like a thread of, of passion there. You, you really like this. You really like what you're doing. You really like crypto and, and theorizing. I, I like it too. Mm -hmm. I love just sitting here and talking. You were, uh, you were like somewhat of a high-powered lawyer, you know, for like a decade before you transitioned into the space. <laughs> yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Was there like a, a straw that broke the camel's back for you? Did you just meet Bill one day and say, ah, oh, I got to follow you, you know? Cause that's how I felt when I met Bill. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, is more or less what it was, to be honest. I, you know, I enjoyed practicing law. I, I always liked it. I met fascinating people doing really cool things, but, um, you know, when I really saw what Bill and Vitrix and, and the, you know, Richie and Rami, our other founders were doing and the incredibly talented and smart people that we had, and then looked across the industry as well and said, this is something that's just absolutely going to change the world. And we are right on the forefront of it. I mean, you know, people tell me all the time, oh my God, is it too late to buy Bitcoin? Is it too late to get involved in crypto? Is it too late? <laughs> absolutely not. You're on the very cutting edge of this industry and this technology. And it's like being in, you know, the internet in the late 90s. It's just fascinating to see what people are doing and building and all the ways that they're making the world better. And I mean, I talk to people on our podcast, uh, the Bitrix Global podcast all the time, primarily token teams, and they are just attacking every single industry and using blockchain and tokenization to make the world and their industry a better place. And, you know, when I saw that, I, said, I have to be a part of that. So it's uh, it's kind of a funny it, thing because I like I remember those memories growing up watching Miss America pageants or something like that. I don't know if it was that one. It was something. And. It was always, or maybe it was movies about it, like Miss Congeniality or something. And then they would always get on stage like, I want to change the world. I want to change the world. It was like a joke, right? But yep. mm -hmm. it's not a joke now because 
we actually, the tools exist now that anyone mm-hmm. in their basement can start creating a tool for human liberty. And the world is enabled in a way now our world is so enabled and like tech driven that that could go viral in, in seconds. Mm-hmm. And on that thread, Bitrex and Bitrex Global has, have always been on that forefront, right? Uh, going back uh, almost a decade ago, Bitrex was one of the first ones to even do altcoins and, and that whole mm-hmm. thing. You know, it was always Bitcoin and everything. And I remember I, I was, some of my first altcoins were trading there and then tokenized stocks and things like that. Mm-hmm. That was all pre, before some of these other companies did it. So what are some of the exciting things you guys are working on now that we should kind of keep our fingers on the pulse for? That's a great question. So tokenized stocks are obviously our, our big push right now. You know, we've added a number of the biggest Fortune 500 companies. We saw everything that was happening with Robinhood and other brokerages and people not being able to access GameStop and AMC. And so we wanted to do our best to provide access to those for people. And the plan is to just continue to add those assets as well. You know, the other thing that is really interesting about that is, you know, obviously we've got, you know, Tesla and Facebook and Amazon and some of the biggest companies in the world. But I expect that over the next three to six months, we're going to be able to start offering companies that aren't that big, companies that are in the blockchain space that want to sell equity or do hybrid equity or utility security tokens, all those sorts of things, and create some really interesting products that don't quite fit into the traditional public company securities, we're going to be able to start offering those and having those trade on Bitrix Global as well, which I I think will be really interesting to see how that evolves over the rest of the year. So we'll see, you know, the bridging the gap between traditional stocks and traditional stock exchanges and crypto, as well as entirely new products that are taking advantage of the best of both worlds. So that should be really, really exciting and offer a lot of great opportunities for traders and investors. Amazing. I also want to take the, I, I forgot to do it before, but I wanted to just take the moment and thank you for being a sponsor of Untold Stories because you've enabled this show to be my full-time job. And not only me, but the nine other people that work for this show full-time get supported because of you and my other sponsors. So, so really, thank you so much. Absolutely. It's, it's our pleasure. We're, we're thrilled to be on and, and thrilled to be able to sponsor the podcast and um, you know love the work that you, you're doing and your team is doing. and. Um, you know, so many fascinating people come on. So it's uh, really great to see. Thank you. And, and speak, you know, speaking of fascinating people, there are a lot of fascinating people that I'm talking to that have such great ideas and myself included, but we're a little bit nervous and jaded because of my history and what I went through and some, some others. And like, I have some really good ideas of things that I want to do. Like, for example, I want to, lo- I want to write, I'm writing a book um, where I can, oh, wow. I, I teach I'm teaching people economics through mackerel and that's, a, it's like a great, cause I've, I wrote about macro economics and I'd like to like Jeez. launch an NFT token that comes with the book. So then I'm teaching you and you're using this token while you're learning about economics. It's a textbook. It's for students, but that's I'm, great. I, yeah. I love that. I'm still nervous because are the regulators and the lawyers and all the bankers have tides and and mentality changed more in favor of 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 now people building things on crypto because I told myself that I would swear off anything that needed even a license like I won't even cut hair yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it, well yeah I mean it's amazing the number of things that require licenses these days yeah, you know I I think as I said earlier I think that regulators around the world 
including within the U.S. and in many places, are realizing how powerful this technology is and how many people want to be involved and, you know, that it's inevitable. And so they have to get their arms around what the technology is, what it can be used for, what the dangers are, um, what are the use cases. So I think that there is, and they're moving away finally um, from this crazy idea that crypto in general is only useful for criminals and money laundering and, and all those sorts of things. You know, I think that that's a stigma that we've had to deal with for so long, but I, I see it, you know, people finally getting over that. So I, I think it's just getting better and better. And I, I think, you know, uh, it's one of the issues that the industry has to overcome, but I think that it's certainly worth doing. In 10 um, years, I'm so heartwarmed by how far we've come in terms of relationships with governments worldwide, because there mm -hmm. was always the fear that Bitcoin and crypto can grow into this super anti-establishment thing, as opposed to like, let's build a voluntary, mm -hmm. amazing system. And then people will choose the one to use as opposed to like forcing the will. Like what, what really made me fall in love with this whole community. I remember when I first got involved in Bitcoin, I met someone and it, and I remember like, in these old anarcho-capitalist communities, it was like, end the Fed, end the Fed. And I'm like, I'm not about ending anything, right? Mm -hmm. We're born on the, in this earth. We all have a right to pursuit of happiness as long as we're not forcing our will on other people. It's like my belief. Here, mm -hmm. he, some, some brilliant said to me, he said, no, Charlie, let's not end the Fed. Let's transcend the Fed. Let's create a better one that people mm -hmm. will choose to use. And that's how I feel like we've been, the whole, our whole industry has been following that same mantra for the past 10 years. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And that's why I think that, you know, every part of this industry is so aligned I and mean, people sort of look at, oh, decentralized exchanges are going to crush centralized exchanges and DeFi is going to take over from whatever. And really, to me, that misses the, the point is that what we're doing collectively is building this entire new financial system that works really, really well and synergizes with the traditional financial system and provides more people access to financial products and helps people live better lives around the world. And if you are an early adopter and you are a brilliant tech person and you want to be on the cutting edge, you want to hold your own private keys, you want to do, you know, build your own blockchain, all those sorts of things, you can do that. And that's phenomenal. But if you're you know, 60 year old uh, grandmother, and you want to just invest in Bitcoin, and you can use PayPal to do that, and it's simple, then that's fantastic as well. So, you know, I, I think everyone around the world can come into the system in the way that best suits their needs. And I think we're all aligned in, in building that system and providing that access to everyone on their own terms. And that's what I love about it. Tom Albright, CEO of Bittrex Global, thank you so much for taking the time and, and coming on Untold Stories today. I want to leave our listeners off with that perfect, perfect words of wisdom. And what a great show to end off the week. I'm going to have a really nice weekend. You know what I love about this show? I listen to my own show all the time. So it's like, I'm excited to listen to this one. Thank you. And thank you, Charlie. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.